So let's pray. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. All of us who love Yeshua and all of us who love the Jewish people are instructed to give very careful attention to Sarah and to Abraham, to look at them both. And I wanna start by looking at one of the great commendations that we find in the letter of Hebrews, chapter 11, you can turn there. We'll start in verse eight. It says, by faith, Abraham. Just say that with me, by faith, Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went without knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the promised land as a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Now let's say that together, same promise. And then going to verse 11, by faith, Sarah. Let's repeat that too, by faith, Sarah. By faith, Sarah, even though she was barren and beyond childbearing age, was enabled to conceive a child because she considered him faithful who had promised. Why was Sarah able to bear a child? Why was she able to conceive even after she had passed into child, passed beyond the age of childbearing, it was because she considered him faithful who had promised. Now this is very important. This was not because she was cheerleading herself. It was not because she was fantasizing. It was not because she had gone to a seminar on the power of positive thinking. It's not because she was part of a movement that said, what you say will come to pass it wasn't because she was a member of a word of faith community or anything like that. It's because, first of all, God promised. Say that with me. God promised, and she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. God promised, and she considered him faithful. Now, if God had not promised to her, she would have just had a desire and a hope, but she would not have had a promise from the Lord. It's important to pay careful attention to that. Because she considered him faithful who had promised. So first of all, God promises, and then in response to that, she considers him faithful. Now the other side to it is this. Unless you consider God faithful when he makes a promise, you may not be in the position to receive what he's promised. Because if you look Earlier you'll see, by faith, Abraham, when called to go, let's say that, called to go. He got a call, he went. It's one thing to feel like spiritually excited, to feel dramatic even. It's another thing to be called by God that, in a way that requires action. That's what happened with Abraham, he was called to action. He was called to go, he had to get up and go. He was called to go by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. Let's say that together, obeyed and went. 
These are important words and important ideas. When God calls someone and there is action and response necessary on their part, it's impossible to receive what he wants to give you or to accomplish what he wants you to accomplish unless you obey and go, unless you respond. You cannot receive. So this is one of the important ideas of faith. Faith is not just believing, faith is acting on that belief. Faith is trusting in the God who spoke. If you only think of faith as being an internal mental condition, then I have sad news for you. You understand faith the way demons do. And that kind of belief is not true belief. It's not extraordinary. It's not exemplary. And there's nothing to be commended for it. Even demons can believe like that. Isn't that an awful thing to say? I'm just paraphrasing what Yeshua said. Human faith recognizes God's faithfulness. And we who love Yeshua and count ourselves as his disciples have this kind of faith at work in us, the same faith that was in work in Abraham and Sarah. Sarah considered him faithful who had promised. I want you to think about some of the unfulfilled promises in your life. This is hard for some people because they're so filled with disappointment or sorrow or despair or hopelessness. I have a promise from God, but it will never come to pass. If you have a promise from God that will never come to pass, you don't really have a promise from God. Or you do have a promise from God, but you're not considering him faithful. The challenge to be sons and daughters of Abraham, to be sons and daughters of Sarah, the challenge is to bring together your faith and you're considering God faithful the one who's promised. The challenge is to continue in hope, to continue in faith, and to remember he's faithful who promised. Sometimes when we think about what we don't yet have, instead of being hopeful, we're hopeless. Now I can tell you this, the scriptures sometimes are blunt and very direct and they say this, no one hopes for what he already has. If you're sitting next to your husband or your wife, smile at that person. Smile, both of you smile. I, I know this is hard. Smile at them and, and just tell them something sweet. You can whisper it. You, you can be sweet. But I want you to remember something. You're not hoping that person is sitting next to you because they are sitting next to you. So hope is not at work, right? You hope for what you do not have. Because if you already have it, there's nothing to hope for. The problem is this. What we don't have that we've been hoping for, for too long, we begin to think we will not have. But that's not the case for Sarah, and that's not the case for Abraham. Because the word of the Lord to them came to them when they were already 
uh, beyond reasonable condition for having children together. And they had to persevere believing that God was going to do what he said. And they did persevere. They weren't being wishful thinkers. They had faith that persevered. They had faith that obeys. They had faith that receives the promises of God. Now let's go to another passage that speaks about who they are and how they responded to God. It's in Isaiah chapter 51. Just the first two verses say this. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham and to Sarah, who gave birth to you in pain. (laughs) That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Sarah gave birth to you in pain. It hurt for her to give birth. Now you might say, I don't get it, I wasn't there. But if your sons or daughters of Sarah, if your sons and daughters of Abraham, sons and daughters of Abraham and Sarah, you are part of their family and when she was giving birth to Isaac, it hurt, it hurt. I remember a, a friend who, who thought that she should have the largest family she possibly could. She and her husband just thought, if God gives us babies, we'll have babies. If he gives us more babies, we'll have more babies. I think she was 40 when she had her fifth baby. And that one was a tough one. And in the hospital, she was yelling She was screaming, she was saying things to her husband that he would never touch her again, that this was awful. And then later she went into the bathroom and with a magic marker wrote warnings to women over 40 because it was so hard. (laughs) And Sarah was older than that. Just a tad, just a tad. (coughs) Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who gave birth to you in pain. When he was but one, I called him. And then I blessed him and multiplied him. My comment is don't think it was easy. It wasn't easy. Don't think it's hard for you, but it was easy for him. That he had like this kind of gliding faith You know, it's just like he was always chilling and relaxed about everything. Don't think like that. Think that it was as hard for him as it would have been for you if you were that old. And if you were told to go from one place to another with no knowledge of what the place was that you were going to. Anybody here ever move from one country to another? Can you imagine moving from one country to another, but you don't know what country the other one is? And you go not knowing who the people are going to be that you're going to have to live among, and then you find out they're much worse than the people you came from. That's what it was for them. Now let's look at some 
some of the secrets about what, were, what was at work for Abraham and Sarah. And for this, I want you to turn back to Hebrews. And wherever you are reading in your Bible and it says Hebrews, you could really write Messianic Jews. That would be just as accurate, maybe more accurate, uh, given our modern language. So the first chapter of Hebrews says this, now faith is the assurance of what we hope for and the certainty of what we do not see. Faith is the assurance of what we hope for. So there's something at work, hope. Do you see that? We're hoping for, and and keep in mind, we're hoping for what we don't have because no one hopes for what they already have. And the certainty of what we do not see. That tells us something. When faith is working in this way, the visible evidence may not support your faith at all. The visible evidence may say to you, it's impossible. It can't be that what God has promised will really happen. I must have been imagining it. The visible evidence sometimes will go against what God says he wants to do. Why would God say to a 75-year-old woman, I want you to have a baby? That's crazy. It's, It's irrational. And if you think that the ancients didn't understand it, then you haven't read the text. Sarah heard about this, and what did she do? She laughed. She thought about the whole process and laughed. She, there wasn't anything about it that seemed um, short of ridiculous, except for the fact that the Lord was the one saying it. They understood that it was too late for her. They understood that she was past the age of bearing children. They understood that it was not biologically possible But the Lord had said, I'm going to do it. The Lord had said. It wasn't that they had hoped for it. It wasn't even on their radar screen. Faith is the assurance of what we hope for and the certainty of what we do not see. This is why the ancients were commended. By faith we understand that the universe was formed by God's command. What is the first verse of the Bible? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Barashit bara Elohim et hashemayim fa'et ha'aretz. In the beginning. You see, by faith we understand that. In other words, by trusting God, we can understand that. We understand that the universe was formed by God's command. God spoke and it came to pass. God acted and things came into being. God calls things that are not as though they were, and they come into existence. By faith we understand that the universe was formed by God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. That's an interesting idea. And uh, let's just make it clear to ourselves, The visible universe was made out of what is not visible. And if you have difficulty with that, let me help you. 
Modern science tells us about subatomic particles. Am I right? But you can stare with your own eyes as long as you want, and you will not see an electron or a proton or a neutron with your bare eye. It doesn't matter how long you concentrate. You can't say, I, I, I think I see one. You can't see them. They're invisible to the naked eye. Am I right? Okay, now, you can put on your reading glasses and you still can't see microbes. But you know microbes exist, right? Even if you can't see them. So, we don't have a problem with that because science tells us these things. But the scripture tells us something like this that we're also supposed to not have a problem with. And that is, out of nothing visible, God created the visible material time-space world that we live in. It was out of himself that he created this. By his command, not by accident, not by just having enough billion years, but because God who is eternal commanded the universe into existence. That's why it exists. And if you say to yourself, well that can't be because can you see God? He's invisible. Well, so what? Microbes are invisible. That doesn't mean God doesn't exist or microbes don't exist. But things can be real even if they come from invisible things. Now, the reason I'm focusing on this is there's no way to live by faith unless you also have hope, unless you also know that the one who promises is faithful, and unless you understand that the things that God is going to do, the things that he will do, may not yet be visible even though they may be certain. It may not be visible to you, but it can be certain. There may be reasons why other people can say, that's impossible. I remember praying for Kathy and Travis Dexterhouse when they wanted to conceive, and with, with help, they did conceive, and they had twins. And then I remember when later on, the doctor said it was a million to one odds, maybe more, they conceived again and had another baby. And then recently they found out she conceived again. So it's not a million to one now, it's probably a billion to one odds. And I know in this congregation, we have many miracle babies who are now grown adults. We have many who are just little children. We have people who shouldn't even exist according to, uh, to natural science, but we do exist. Unless you allow your faith to work with your hope and your trust in God, then you will not be able to persevere and to receive all that God has for you. And so this requires something. You've, you've got to put your hopelessness to death. That is something that we have to learn to do. And the, the, the world around us doesn't encourage us to do this. But hopelessness needs to be dealt with for what it is. 
It's the condition of not having hope. That's all it is. And we are required to continually refill ourselves with hope by considering him faithful who is promised. Have you received everything that God has promised to you? I haven't. And I'm glad for it. I tell you why. Because I know there's another day. I know there's tomorrow. I know there's more time. I know yet in the future, some of the things that God had promised to do, he will do. Because there's more time. Once we were flying on an old Soviet aircraft from St. Petersburg, Russia to Kiev, Ukraine. It was a terrible plane. And... Uh, I won't tell you all the details, but it was scary to be on it. And there were two Americans traveling with us who had never been in the former Soviet Union, and they considered it a white knuckle experience. They held on to their seats, the arms of the seats, so tight they were exhausted. It was exhausting just watching them. And when we got off the plane, I was sort of relaxed, certainly compared to them. I'd been through, you know, more harrowing situations than that. And I was relaxed, and they were all nervous, and Sandy and I were sort of laughing, you know. Well, we got through that one. And I said to them, you never want to get on one of these airplanes believing that everything that you're supposed to have accomplished has already been done. You want to get on knowing this, Lord, there's a tomorrow. I, I need to be here tomorrow. <laughs> there's yet more. Hopelessness tells you give up. Hopelessness tells you if you haven't received now, you will never receive. Hopelessness will point you to all the evidence why you will not receive and that which God said he would do, he will not do Hopelessness will lie to you about the future, but it will use the evidence of the present, leaving out two things. One, the promises of God, and two, the faithfulness of God. Because hopelessness will never come to you and say, this is never gonna happen, but don't worry, trust the Lord. He's faithful. You know why? Hopelessness depends on not trusting the Lord. Hopelessness depends on looking at the current situation and comparing it and forgetting that God is faithful. Hold on to him who promises. Hold on to him who promises. He's got plans. Your children who need him Hold on to the Lord, parents, mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers, grandparents. Hold on to the Lord. What he said he wants to do, he, he does want to do. Hold on to him. Yaakov, James, tries to describe the faith of Abraham. And in chapter 2, verse 22, he says that you see that Abraham's faith was working together with his actions and his faith was perfected and completed by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. 
And he was called a friend of God. As you can see, a man is justified by his deeds, not by his faith alone. This week we read about the life of Sarah and the death of Sarah. In Genesis 23, it says, Sarah lived to be 127 years old. These were the years of Sarah's life. And Sarah died in Kiryat Arba, also known as Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn Sarah and to weep for her. And then going down to verse 19, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah by Mamre, also known as Hebron in the land of Canaan. The field in its cave had been purchased by Avraham from the sons of Het as a burial site which would permanently belong to him. Abraham paid full price for that. If you follow the negotiations in chapter 23, you'll, you'll recognize that. When the, the seller says, you know, what's, what was it, 400 shekels between a man like you and me? You know, you can have it. He's naming the price. And the scripture says Abraham understood the price and he paid the full price. Now let me read to you something about the historical and archeological truth about, it, about the scriptures we just read. It's, this is from the Jewish Virtual Library. It says, the cave of Machpelah is the world's most ancient Jewish site. The cave and the adjoining field were purchased at full market price. Full price. Say that with me, full price. Who knew that Jewish people would pay full price? We used to have a joke, why did God create Gentiles? And it was, somebody has to pay retail. <laughs> Abraham paid retail. By Abraham, some 3,700 years ago, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, and Leah are all buried in the same cave of Machpelah. And these are considered the patriarchs and the matriarchs of the Jewish people. The only one who's missing is Rachel, Rachel who was buried near Bethlehem where she died in childbirth. 3,700 years later, it's still undisputed. This was the property that Abraham purchased and he paid full price. And he's had it and it's been deeded to him and neither... Uh, Muslims, nor Jews, nor Christians dispute it. It's awesome, isn't it? It is just so incredible. But I want to show you one last thing before we close tonight. It's, it's from last week's Torah reading, actually, chapter 22 of Genesis. And the chapter is so well known because it describes the time that Abraham was preparing to sacrifice Isaac and the Lord provided a substitute, a ram. And that's the highlight of this chapter, but at the end of the chapter are just a few verses you may have overlooked because they're usually just overlooked. Genesis chapter 22 starting in verse 20, says this, sometime later. Say that with me, sometime later. When? Later. Sometime later. Sometime later, Abraham was told, Milcah 
is also a mother. She has borne sons to your brother Nahor, Uz the firstborn, Booz's brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, Yidlaf, and Bethuel. So that's the end of it. Except one more verse. We'll get to. So Abraham hears the news about his extended family, but listen to the very last verse, the next verse. Verse 23. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. Milcah bore these eight sons to Abraham's brother, Nahor. Rebekah. You see, Abraham has just demonstrated incredible faith and trust in God. And then sometime later, sometime later, and hidden right there in, in the most innocuous scripture is something amazing about the way God plans. It says, oh, your, your, your family's productive. There are eight new nephews. Oh, and by the way, one of them has a girl, Rebecca. A throwaway. Throwaway statement, right? That's what it looks like. You know the story. You know the story. God has a plan. And this is put in the, the least emphatic way. It's just sort of right there in the text. Last week, were you paying close attention to this? Probably not. I wasn't. But this week, I was. And this week, I looked back and I thought, isn't that so interesting? Her name is there as if it means nothing. And in fact, she's a key to everything. She's not underlined. There's nothing that says, this Rebecca, oh, take notice of her. It's just Rebecca. Rebecca was born. But we go to this week, Genesis 24. And it says in verse 15, when the servant of Abraham is you know, on commission by Abraham, he's gone back to the land of Abraham's family looking for a wife. And, and the servant is, is, is challenged because he's saying, how will I know? And the only way he can get an answer is to pray. And he says, Lord, you've got to help me. You've got to lead me and guide me and show me. I've got to see the woman. And he gets there and he sees this woman. He sees her and he recognizes who she is. And look, Genesis 24, 15. Rebecca, the daughter of Betuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her jug on her shoulder. If you go back to last week, it's a throwaway statement. If you come to this moment, this is everything for Isaac. It's everything for Abraham too, because only if Abraham's son has the wife that God's promised, will they have children of the covenant and promise. Only that way. It was just hidden. Nothing underlined. And that's the way God works. You could walk by and not even notice. 
and then there's a moment. Maybe you can relate to it like this. If, if you fell in love with the person who became your spouse. I remember when I met Sandy and uh, I didn't know who she was, but she was a friend of a friend of mine. And my friend, Sarah Jane, was driving in the mountains in the Blue Ridge where we lived and it was on Easter Sunday and she got a flat tire out in the mountains and uh, none of the friends who were nearby could come get her or would come get her or help. And she said, I know someone who will come even if it's inconvenient. It so happened that she got a flat tire and was stuck right in front of a phone booth. How many of you remember what a phone booth is? In the country, yeah. In the country, in the mountains, there's a phone booth. So she gets on the phone, she calls me and says, can you come help? And so I go up there and I pick them up in my car and I'm driving them back and I'm looking in the rear view mirror. (laughs) And I see, I see Rebecca, I see Sandy, (laughs) I see Sandy. And I take notice, not knowing who she will be. Do you get it? But after we were engaged, we were laughing and said, when did this start? And we, we traced it back to, you know, a, a certain moment. And they said, no, 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 it was earlier than that. And we took a step back. It was, you know, this time. And that, no, 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 it was before that, this time. And we finally got to that moment when she was sitting in the back seat and I was driving. And she was thinking, nice voice, too young. I was, and I was, I kept catching glances. Guys, do you know what that means? You know, you're, you don't want them to see you're looking unless they're going to look at you back the way you're looking at them. <laughs> Something like that. It was, it was awesome, but I didn't know who she would be. I didn't know what life we would have. How much longer after that, right? Oh, it, before we got married? Well, Several years. Yeah, a couple of years. Yeah. We had to become friends first. You know, love at first sight. Friendship? We were friends for close to a year before we had lovey-dovey. Uh, Yeah. In fact, I took her on a date with my date. I, yeah. Yeah. We were, no, no, it was like this. I, I had a date to a concert and I had an extra ticket. I was working in radio. I had an extra ticket. I said, Sandy, come on, you know, go with us. Now she'll tell the same story. So she went on my date with somebody else, with me. It was just, but after that, after we became friends, 
And then we started opening our hearts openly. There are times when you don't know what you're getting into until much later. And sometimes you don't know what you're getting into until it feels like you're near the end. That was the case for Sarah and for Abraham. And I can tell you this, whoever you are who's wondering, is that really gonna happen in my life? And I'm not talking about marriage here. And I'm not talking about having children late in life or anything like that. I'm not, getting, I'm not trying to give false hopes to people who don't have promises from God. I'm not trying to do that. But what I'm trying to do is I want to reignite hope and faith for those of you who have promises from God and who are still hoping and who are still considering God faithful even though you cannot see and the evidence does not indicate. But you know this, the one who can create the universe out of nothing by his own command is the one you're trusting. And which is harder? Do you know what quarry you came from? Do you know what kind of rock you are? Think about it. Think about that. Yeshua defied all logic when he had this moment where he said, your father Abraham was overjoyed to see my day. He saw it and was glad. And people said to him, are you crazy? You're not even 50. And you've seen Abraham? And Yeshua said, before Abraham was born, I am. And they understood what he was saying. It was mind-blowing to them. But he was saying, hey, I was with Abe. He was happy to see me. You ought to be too. You ought to be too. Abraham, whose faith was sustained had an encounter with Yeshua before the name Yeshua was known and all the circumstances of his coming was known. And you might say, well, that's not kosher. But the scripture tells us there was a point where no one knew the Lord by yod heh vav right? They didn't know him by that name. So the scriptures are consistent. Well, you need to know who you serve. You serve the Lord. You serve a mighty God. He's not a man that he would lie. He speaks and it comes to pass. He calls things that are not as though they were. What he promises are confirmed with a yea and an amen from Yeshua. His promises are to be taken seriously. Don't allow the waiting and the potential for hopelessness to rule over you. Be a victor. Trust the Lord. Hang on to him. Not wishful thinking, not fantasizing, not just trying to put a good spin on things, not being Pollyannish. I'm not talking about any of that. Not trying to think that you can make it happen if you just confess and believe or name it and claim it or 
But if you obey, if you trust him, in due season, you'll not be ashamed. You'll not be disappointed. You will see that what he promised to do, he finished doing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you finish, and you always finish well. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us such great examples in Sarah and Abraham. We thank you, Lord, for the fellowship that you had with Abraham and the joy that he experienced by trusting you and by eating with you and the amazing way that you spoke hope and faith into Abraham and Sarah's life. You accomplished what you wanted to through them. Thank you, Lord, for that. And let it be that as sons and daughters of Abraham and Sarah, as disciples of Yeshua, we walk in that same faith and faithfulness. And we consider you faithful, who has promised. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? And if you're standing by yourself, if you don't mind just moving a tad. In the south, you can move a tad. Did you know that? In the north, you can't. But in the south, you can. In the north, you have to move a skosh. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'era Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Adonai p'navelecha v'yasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Sar Shalom. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Amen.